This episode is brought to you by ProPulse Speed Trainers, created by the mad scientist himself, David Weck. Now, in my 20-plus years of evaluating athletes, there was always one thing, one thing that I could look at and tell you if this athlete was going to be sick or if they were going to be in our coordinated mess. And I could tell you that in about five seconds. And what was it? It was the way their upper bodies moved in sync with their lower bodies. If they were in complete and total sync, I knew the athlete was going to be sick. You've always heard, look at this guy's arm angles. Look at the way the violent arm action, the way this guy runs. Well, those were always the best athletes. Now, what David Weck did is he created these little miniature weights that are about 12 ounces each that you can hold in your hand. And inside of those weights, he has these little beads. And when you run and when, you move, when you're pumping those arms, when those weights are pumping those arms, you can actually hear with those beads if you are on the right rhythm. It's actually sending a signal to your brain to say, yep, I am in pace, I am in rhythm, and it will instantly get your upper body and lower body in sync. If you want to become like Michael Jordan, Randy Morse, LeBron James, Derek Jeter, watch these guys run, watch their sick arm angles, get yours today. Go to shop.weckmethod.com. That's shop, W-E-C-K, that's weckmethod.com. Put in the code WMA270. Again, that's W. MA270. It will get you 10% off of any item that you buy. Go and get yours today. Welcome to another episode of the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. Today, we are going to be recapping what happened at yesterday's 2023 Tough Man event. And I just got to start off by saying that there are certain things that I absolutely hate about the Tough Man. One of them is that at the end of this event, so it's basically, in many ways, it's the culmination of the entirety of our training season. And everybody in their mind is training. They are competing to win this event because they want to be the tough man. They want that big fancy belt that we get with the advanced training logo on it. They want to put their, get their name on that advanced training hall of fame. They want it there. But the reason I hate it is because there's only one winner and everybody else leaves disappointed. Now, I am absolutely not a everybody-gets-a-trophy guy. That's not me. That's not what I'm looking for. But as their coach, I don't want to see one guy happy and everybody else upset. That is something that actually eats at my soul. And the upset part, maybe it's not they're upset because they lost, but maybe they're upset because maybe they didn't do all the things that they had to do to win that event. And as I told them yesterday, and I'll tell them again, that event is like the Super Bowl. You don't just win on that day. You've won every day before you got to that day. Where, you, where you're seated in that, on that day is a reflection of what you did all season. How well you do that day is a reflection of how hard you trained all season. Every donut you had, every beer you drank, every time you missed a session for whatever other reason, it has impacted your performance on that day. So to me, guys, some guys will feel that sting for a minute, and leave and forget about it. Some guys will feel that sting for a year and completely and totally dedicate themselves like a Joe Trunzo to the next victory or to the next challenge. And it's really, what are you going to do with that thing? So those are some of the things that I hate about the tough man. There's one other thing that I'm starting to hate about the tough man. And it's, it's recent. It's been over the last couple of years. It's that in some instances or in many ways, it is not only us competing against each other, or our guys competing against each other. It is our guys competing against Mother Nature or the field conditions. So we even moved this year's session up a little earlier than normal, a little earlier we are doing the last few years, to try and keep some morning dew on the ground. And pff, that didn't happen. 
So for people that are new to the Advanced Training Podcast, parts of this Tough Man competition involve pushing sleds or pulling sleds. And the drier the ground is, the harder it is. And it's absolutely, positively making an impact on the results of our performance. So to me, it's, it's like I have been keeping the same exact Tough Man form, format for the last, I don't know, eight years to try and keep some semblance of tradition and to see if anybody can beat numbers from previous years. But now we're seeing, based on the field conditions, those numbers could be nothing. Right now, it's literally what is happening on that day. It's almost like a horse race, right? What are the field conditions? Muddy, dry, whatever, right? Those conditions are going to impact the speed and the effectiveness at which somebody can actually execute this tough man. Okay, so now we're going to get into a couple of things that I love. There is elements, or there are elements, of the tradition that I do love. I love the tradition that I get there. No matter how early I get there to set up the tough man, there's people already in their cars. Guys... They, they, they actually, they do treat this like the Super Bowl. They get there a little earlier than normal. The other tradition for me is that I make it a requirement that I am the only one that unloads my truck that day. Why? Well, one, I'm not competing in the event, and I don't want these guys fatigued by anything that they're doing other than competing in the event. Two, part of what I'm doing is I want to actually get a feel for what the ground is like, what the conditions are like myself. So I want to unload the truck. I want to get the toys situated. I want to get everything done so I can get a perfect feel of how everything's set up. And three, I actually need mental practice of setting up this entire drill to make sure that it doesn't get screwed up. And maybe that's a foreshadowing of what comes later. But this is part of my tradition. It's part of me getting myself mentally prepared, mentally focused. I want to work the sled a little bit. I want to push the prow a little bit. I want to set things up. I want to step things off to make sure that everything is as I've had it documented. So what people don't know is I have checklists. I know... Look, we're not dealing with, uh, I'm not out there with a ruler, but for pretty much precise measurements, I am using certain markers on the field to know where a cone should go, where the slider should go. I have everything on a checklist before I go there. I have a checklist I printed out the night before, make sure that I remember everything that's going to be there. It's part of the tradition of what goes on, because I don't want to screw it up. I don't want to be the guy that screws up somebody's tough man because... I don't have something in the right spot, or I forgot a toy, or I, I, I'm making a mistake with the clicker, right? I don't want to be that guy. I'm not saying I'll never be that guy, but I don't want to be that guy because I know how much these guys put into it. The other tradition of what goes on the week before, before this Advanced Training Tough Man is that I will continue to share podcasts with these guys of old episodes. So maybe next year, actually not maybe, definitely next year, people are going to be listening to this one. And I'm trying to instill in these guys that you can learn from the past. Are you a student of the game, or are you going to learn from things that happened beforehand? Because there's always a learning lesson. No one has absolutely, completely, and totally perfected this thing. Even the great Joe Trunzo, or the great Joe Sarno, who have broken sub-one-minute times, who are challenge champs themselves, there's still a couple of seconds that they had in the tank, even with the perfect weather conditions. So there's always stuff to learn, not only physically, but mentally. What was their approach? How did they see things? How did a win impact them? How did a loss impact them? And also, talking about things that I like, is that there is some sort of a brotherhood of everybody who's going against this tough man, because it is tough, in the past, sorry, in the, the present and in the past, to the point where somebody like Joe Tronzo, who has not trained with us for a few years, has been reaching out to me and other people on, in advanced training to get them prepped, to get them motivated. He's reaching out to me. Who's a, who's a top contender this year? Who do you need me to talk to? 
Uh, has, is anybody getting better that I, I didn't think we're going to get better? Who's a big surprise, right? So it's just awesome that there's this camaraderie, almost this, this timeless camaraderie from people circled around this one event. And lastly, it's that people show up who probably don't have to show up. For example, Joe Marechko, he was not going to compete this year. He's a little banged up. He, he showed up. He showed up not to compete, but to cheer people on. And he filmed the whole damn thing. Sick. Right? He didn't have to do that, but it meant that much to him. Or my niece, Allison. I said, listen, I need help documenting the times. We put a lot of effort into this thing, so we document the second that everybody hits every leg of the event. So these guys have it, and they could see. How did I do getting from point A to point B? From point P to point C? Where did I win it? Where did I lose it? What do I need to work on for next year? She shows up 5.30 in the morning. By the way, she has way better things to do. Legitimately, she's about to enter into Rutgers. Not only is she going to Rutgers, she's already there working at football camp with their football team. So she did this before she went to football camp practice. So think about her, the fa- what she did to just show up to record times for me. But now let's get back to things that I hate again. So things that I hate again is when people don't show up to the tough man for telling me beforehand or not telling me beforehand. So I'm a pretty reasonable guy. I set up the schedule months in advance. Some guys tell me they can or can't make it. I'll try and adjust it based on their schedules. But the week of, it's rough when somebody says, I can't make it. I don't know why everybody's got their own personal issues, but it just it eats at me a little bit because, again, this is the, the pinnacle of the entire entirety of our training season. Or if someone doesn't tell me they're going to show up, so and they don't show up. <laughs> so the advanced training curse strikes again. Last week, we announced our freak awards. I discuss a guy who... Last year, workout number one doesn't show up and then sends a half-assed, passive-aggressive apology through text. Uh, and But then he turns it around this year and has, in my mind, one of his best training years he's ever had. Not because of his performance, but because of his how much he improved from the injuries that he had and also because of his intensity and integrity of getting to all the sessions that we had and being a top or one of our top attendance guys. And that was none other than once a damn again. Jimmy Yuski. It's Jimmy Yuski wins an award. He wins the comeback player of the year. And guess what happens? Jimmy Yuski misses the tough man. He sends me a text that I missed because I was actually setting up for the tough man at 5.40 a.m. when the tough man was starting at 5.30 a.m. saying uh, his alarm clock went off and he slept or he slept through it or whatever. I don't know, but he missed the tough man. So, damn. The second thing, this has nothing to do with hate, but it has to do with the advanced training curse. It's <laughs> Maybe it's bringing something bad into the world. Joe Moretzko talks about neutral thinking. But Maggio said before the tough man to Joe Derrida, what happens if I lose a slider during the tough man? And guess what happened? There was only one person the entire day that lost a slider, and that was Joe Maggio. Now, this, the ground is wet, which it was not. It was a scorched earth Saturday, par for the course for these last couple of years. If the ground's wet, people are always losing sliders. But on a dry day, not one guy. I think we had 14 guys compete. Not one of them lost a slider except Joe Maggio. So Maggio, in the future, do not say anything bad because it's probably going to happen. Google the Bill Buckner story. I'll tell you right now. Bill Buckner, before the World Series, said, I don't want to be the guy that lets the ground ball go between my legs to lose the World Series. 1986 against the Mets. And that's exactly what happened. All right, so let's get into what happened before the Tough Man. Before we even get to the actual Tough Man itself, something that we do, another part of tradition that I like, I think that other guys like, is we do pre-test rankings. This is where we let our guys vote on where they think everybody else in the program is going to come. Like first place, second place, third place, whatever. 
we have 20 guys that were eligible to compete this year. So this is this is big. It's probably the biggest we've ever had in the new format. So it is a little bit of a bear to try and rank 20 guys or stack rank 20 guys. And to be very fair, part of the, uh, I'd say, the difficulty in doing it this year was that I did not make it as easy as I normally do. Normally, I would put it in SurveyMonkey, and guys can, like, drag and drop who's going to go in first, second, or third. But that died. SurveyMonkey now wants to pay me to pay them $500 for that that poll, and I'm not doing it. I'm not paying $500 for a one-time event. Not going to happen. So last year, what I did is that I, I put it on our website, but it was still annoying. It was like a drop-down, and it didn't automate. Like, if I already picked Pete Amorosi to come in first, it wouldn't remove his name for me to put him in second, and guys did that a couple times. We had to fix it. So this year, what I decided to do, I, I reached out to the crew to ask for advice, but nobody gave me a simple, a simple answer. So what I did was I made them a spreadsheet. I put everybody's name on it, and I said, fill it in, and I sent them all a spreadsheet. And out of the 20 guys in the crew, five filled it out. Five. I don't know what the other 15 guys were doing, but only five filled it out. I then proceeded to uh, harass and or shame the ones that I thought would actually fill it out, and we did get it to, I think, about 15, 16 people filled out the form. So, again, taking extreme ownership, as Jocko Willings would say, part of it was on me, but part of it was on them. Now, these guys have been all in on our training sessions, so and they've been, they've been all in on everything we've been doing. I don't know what they were thinking or doing, or maybe it was my fault, but I'm going to try and figure out a next way, a year, a way, a way for next year to make this easier. But I do know that guys do love to look at the results of these rankings because it gets to see, or it gets, lets them see how they're viewed upon by their peers. And to me, that matters more than anything. It matters more than what I have to say. It matters more to them of what does the guy I'm training next to think about how I perform? How do I practice? How am I going to handle myself when I'm under pressure? And I got to say, it's, it's great bulletin board material, too. Guys get pissed off about it. What? You ranked me to finish 16th? Never. The interesting thing that I like to see is not only how ac- – there's a couple things. One, how accurate are the votes that we get? Two, how does a person react to what they got for that year? And three, what do they do about it next year? Because it's probably too late. If you get to the tough man, it might be too late because all your hard work and preparation, you got one, one event left. Uh, unless you choke under the pressure or rise above your expectations, which is very unlikely, you're pretty much going to get what you were going to get. But what do you do about it next year? How do you t- change your preseason rankings for next year? So I'm not going to give you all of the answers to the test here, but they did pick the top three. Weintraub, Carpentieri, Galley. That was the one, two, and three. I'll even go to four, Shalasi. Those were the top four. And when I look at the overall votes that came in, if you're looking at it in like terms of like a heat map, people pretty much, if you were voted in that top four to five, there were very, very few votes, if any, below 10. If you were voted in the bottom 16 to 20, there were very, very few votes in the top five. So people were generally consistent in the way that they voted for people. And... This is a little bit of a foreshadowing. People, the, vo- the votes were generally consistent in how the outcome came, meaning that for the most part, our guys have a pretty good feel for the way people train around them and how they're going to perform. I'm not going to say everything was perfect, but they didn't say somebody was going to come in 20th and they came in first or vice versa. They were pr- pretty close. Some of them, they were actually legitimately spot on with people, and people were pissed about the number they were going to get. The other thing I have to say is that if you didn't do it, if you did not do it, 
unless you have some serious life issues going on, which anyone absolutely can have, and excluding the fact that I did not make it easy. It's selfish if you don't do it because it's really important for people to look at and see how they're viewed upon by other people. And I got to call out one guy because this is how much he wanted to do it. Billy Hesdra could not get it to work on his computer. Again, I didn't make it easy. And the, the guy, like, took an image of what I wrote, and, like, he wrote in with, like, on the, on the iPhone, the little pencil. He wrote the numbers in. So he went through that level of effort to get information in for these pretest rankings. So thank you, Billy Hestra. Thank you to the guys who did it. Uh, special non-thank you to the guys that made me push them, prod them, remind them 15 times to do it. It's important, men. It's now. It's a tradition. We have this stuff in. It's important to everybody for them to see how they are viewed upon by their teammates, competitors, whatever it's going to be. So now, let's get to the actual Tough Med event. As I alluded to before, it was a scorched earth Saturday. There was a little, there was morning dew on the ground, don't get me wrong, but there was a little bit of it, and Mother Nature was not being generous with it. So it was there, but it wasn't there all that long. And it was, again, part of the reason why I set things up. When I was setting it up at 5.30, uh, I was getting, I felt some morning dew. Things were, I could move them, but I knew. I knew that it wasn't going to be there for long. This was not like years past where, like, the chain, if you do one set of it, is soaking wet. It wasn't the case at all. And yes, it is a pick-your-poison type deal. If the ground's too, too wet, you can't grab the chain. Sliders fall off. You might drop the farmer's walk. But that prowler is so, so much easier. On the flip side, when it's dry, the prowler, it, it, it's, it's literally... The entirety of the event is trying to get through that low handle of the prowler. And I heard guys calling it yesterday the peak of the mountain. So the way this works is you go from a slider to a farmer's walk to a high handle of a prowler. Then you go to the low handle of the prowler. And that's literally the middle of the event. Like if there's seven stages of the event, that, that low handle of the prowler, that's the fourth thing. So you're basically going up a mountain. And then from there on out, you're going down the mountain. Or you're going up a hill, you're going down a hill, whatever way you want to think about it. Then it's a high handle of the prowler, then a sle seated sled pull, and then a slider. That's how, the, that's how this tough man works. And for the most part, if you can get through that low handle of the prowler, you got it done. And I have to say that at the end of this thing, there was not one guy who was, like, dead. Last year, I talked about Steve Armato laying at the end of everyone else's video. That didn't happen this year. Guys were tired. Guys had jelly legs. But I have to say... With, with very similar, if not the same, field conditions. I'd say, I'd say that there were parts of the day where it was wetter than last year, but also parts of the day where it was drier than last year. I think we started off a little wetter than last year, but I feel like at the end, it was drier than it was last year. And this is a feel-like. I don't have scientific evidence for any of this. I just know that it was dry. I could tell you about dew point. I could tell you about temperature. But also, there's variability in the amount of rain that's happened over the last few weeks. Uh people moving toys in certain spots, so I can't give you the scientific exactly what the moisture was on the ground for each event. This is just my gut feel by setting everything up every single time. So, having said that, whew, get a little winded just talking. Where the hell was I? Oh, having said that, th let's talk about, I want to talk about the, the results of the first five guys. I'm not going to talk about everybody, there's not enough time to talk about everybody, but I want to go the results of the first five guys. And what happens is, we pick an order based on, here's how the order of the guys are going to go, and we pick that order based on a number of factors. I put it in a, into a proprietary formula, and it spits out for me who goes when in the competition. So, what I do is I take things like attendance, uh, challenge points, soft points, I put them all together into a formula, and it spits out what the order is going to be. And what I did is I asked Joe Shalasi, who had the best numbers, I said, listen, 
You get to pick, just like I said with Barrage last year. You get to pick. Do you want to go first, or do you want to go last? And he said, I want to go first. So he said he's going first. So what I did was I took the way the numbers lined up. He goes first, and then everybody below him just went in the order of the points that they got. So Shalasi goes first. Galley goes second. Carpentieri goes third. Derradita goes fourth. Fourth. Yuski was supposed to go fifth, but uh, he slept in. So Cortese ended up going fifth. And what happened was... Spoiler alert, those five guys that I just said, Shalasi, Galli, Carpentieri, Derrida, and Cortese, they had the five best times of the day. Now, people can argue, well, coach, they had the best times of the day because they went first and they got all the morning due. Maybe, maybe, I'm not denying that the ground got drier, but maybe they got to go first because they came to the most sessions during the course of the year. Maybe they got to go first because they, when they had challenges, they won them. Right? There's a lot of other things involved. I didn't pick these names out of a hat. Don't think that it's not fair that you had to go 20th. It is fair. It's fair because you didn't come. Or you didn't win when you had to win. Or you, you slept in and you got soft points. So remember, these rankings or this order of competitors was based on all the stuff that you did to this point. It's just like in the NFL. Uh, it's not fair that the Kansas City Chiefs get home field advantage during the playoffs. Yes, it is. They won all their games. They get a bye week in the first round of the playoffs, and they get home field advantage, right? Like, so that, that's how this stuff works. It doesn't guarantee you a victory, but it puts you in a better spot. Ooh, I don't have to play a wild card game where I can get punched out. Ooh, I don't have to travel across the country and battle with time zones and jet lag, right? Like, no, I, you, you've earned that right. So the Super Bowl is not won on Super Bowl Sunday. The Super Bowl is won on every single thing that was done before that. So here we go. Shalasi, he goes first, and he runs what I would say is a, a, almost a flawless run. He beats his best time. His best time before this is 1 minute and 15 seconds, and he beats it with a time of 1 minute 4 seconds, 0.63. 1 minute 4 seconds, 0.63. The only, if I had a comment on anything... I would say that he looked, and this is just Shalasi's demeanor. He's a very calm guy. You, if you, you met him on the street, you wouldn't know that he's this complete and total savage that he is and a, a physical, the physical prowess that he has. He looked like he wasn't hurrying from one event to the other, but that's just the way he is. I think if he did have a little bit of a sense of urgency in his transitions, I think he could probably get to sub one minute. But he didn't mess anything up. Uh, he, he had a really great run, and it's just the way he operates. And he's been operating great all year, similar to like a, a Brian Weintraub. A Brian Weintraub who, you know, he looks like he's never stressed out, he's never fatigued. It's pretty much the way Shalasi looked, but he kicks it off and sets the tone. And what's really important is that that 64 seconds is not only his personal best, it beat every other time from last year. So we guys were already geeked out. Whoa, he beat every other time from last year. One thing I should also state is that Brian Weintraub, who I mentioned, who was picked to be number one. He could not come to the event. He told me he had a CPA exam. So again, real-life issue. Real-life issue. It's not like he's like out at a DJ's drinking. He has an exam that he had to take. But Weintraub never told me this until the week of. So if, again, if he told me weeks before, I probably would have changed the event. Why would we not want this guy there, the challenge champ two years in a row? I, I want to know how he's going to compete. I don't know. He didn't compete last year in the event either. So... Shalasi goes first. He gets 104.63. Second guy up, Tom Galley. Tom Galley, who, I mean, this guy was been he's been in the challenge. I'm trying to count here. He's been the challenge final two out of the last three years. He's in the semifinals three out of the last three years. He's ranked as the three seed. 
Last year, he just killed the, the challenge points. He was the man. So he goes, and he knocks out 106.38. 106.8, beating his previous best of 1 minute and 12 seconds. Galley won the whole thing last year. He's the first guy to go. Again, he was the only guy that actually got any morning due last year. He was the challenge champ, sorry, the, the tough man champ last year. So he beats his time by six seconds. So now we got two guys. He, beat, he didn't beat Shalasi, but now we have two guys in a row that have beat their previous best, and guys are all geeked out, myself included. I'm like, this is completely and totally awesome. So Galley didn't win, but he comes in second. Up third, Fred Carpentieri. Fred Carpentieri. So this guy, uh, we had a mini tough man the Saturday before this. We're working on mini tough man work. The leader in all the points, I'm sorry, the best times that we had was Joe Salesi. The second guy was Fred Carpentieri. Fred Carpentieri, uh, one of the, the second fastest guy that we have in advanced training in terms of sprinting, and he was ranked second to he was ranked to come in second overall. I think four people ranked him to come in first. Someone even ranked him to come in sixth, but overall his ranking was to come in second in the tough man. What does Fred Carpentieri do? He comes in and beat Shalasi's time with a time of 104.06. So Shalasi had 104.63. Carpentieri had 104.06. Now, the numbers are close. The numbers are close. And guys that said, Coach, isn't there some sort of rule where if it's less than a second, uh, you got to you gotta make us go again or it's too close to call? Uh, there is a rule. And everything I do is based on the scenario. And by the way, that's not the rule, but there is a rule. It's based on the scenario. It's based on the situation. I, uh, maybe to be redundant there. It's based on a bunch of different things. But in this instance, in this instance, to me, this was not worth the recount. Because one, I'll give you, I'll throw out a number, at least it was going through my mind. It wasn't a half a second. If it was under, I would even say less than a half a second. I feel like usually my rule is like two-tenths of a second, a tenth of a second, if all things being equal, but all things were not equal here. So one, it was it was more than a half a second. Two, this goes back to me setting up the field. So normally, I am telling guys, do not touch the toys in between each set. Do not touch the toys in between each set. I want to make sure that they're set up the same way every time. I want that blood on my hands if I screw it up, and there's times where I have screwed it up, but I want that blood on my hands. And also, the thing is, when I touch all the toys... There's a mental checklist that goes through my head. I usually do it in the same exact way every time. I set up this last slider, I set up the sled, then I set up the prowler, then I'll touch the farmer's walk, but I make sure the guy checks the... Like, there's a certain group of things that I do. But what started happening after the first set is guys, I think, got worried about losing the score... Sorry, losing the morning due, that they started to help set things up. And I asked Carol, I said, why are you touching my toys? He said, I want as little as possible time before I go, which is smart, Carol. You're a smart guy. I would never say you're stupid. I'd say you're highly intelligent, so it's a good move. But what Carol did, so he's setting up stuff, and he's setting up the sled. Someone else touched the, the prowler, and because of that, I think, and I could be wrong, I think I lost my mental checklist. I thought someone was setting up the last sliders for Carpentieri. I thought they were, and maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But what I realized is as he approaches his last sliders, his last leg of the sliders, the last thing, they're not set up right. They're not on the line, and they're like at a 45-degree angle. And it took him some time to get his feet on those sliders. Last year, a similar thing happened with Pete Amorosi. That was my fault. This year, it happened to Carpentieri. So that delta of a half a second, I have basically said it's, it was close enough to call. Now, in typical advanced training fashion, Jimmy Yuski, when he heard the results after he missed the event, calls me out and says, Coach's trigger finger gets the win, which people can argue all they want. 
coach's finger. It's not consistent. It's not calibrated. Maybe you're right. We don't have laser sensors out here doing all this stuff. Granted, I did tell Yusuke that I am sensitive about this stuff because I don't want to ruin somebody's entire tough man by doing it wrong. So I will actually sit there and practice by using a stopwatch. And I did make sure that when I was, you know, when, when the moment of truth comes, I'm clicking it without my thumb, right? I'm trying to be as consistent as possible in what I'm doing realizing that there is some variability, but in this case, the variability was not big enough for me to say that there shouldn't, in fact, be a retest. Now, things that I have to harp on with Carpentieri versus Shalasi, because it was close, they both got to, or they both, yeah, they both got to that farmer's walk in nine seconds. Where Carpentieri gained a second, this is right out of the gate, is he ran with that farmer's walk so fast that he gained a second on, to get to the high handle of the prowler. So, again, they come out, they do the sliders, same exact pace, they get to the farmer's walk at the same exact time. But Carp picks up the farmer's walk, and he sprints with that farmer's walk, and he beats Shalasi to, where, to, to his time at the high handle of the prowler. Then, Carp does the high handle of the prowler so fast that now he gains another second on Shalasi. So he gains another second on Shalasi. So now he's two seconds ahead of them by the time they get to the low handle of the prowler. There, and then, he does... It even faster again. So he goes even he goes faster again on the high handle of the prowler. So by the time they get to the sled, Carpentieri has a six-second advantage. So when they both get to the sled, Carpentieri's got there at 37 seconds, and Shalasi's got there at 43 seconds. So how do they end up where they're only a half a second apart? The difference is is that it took Carpentieri five seconds longer to get the sled done than Shalasi. Shalasi is really good at the sled pull. Uh, I'm looking at the times of the day. He actually had the best time of the day at the sled pull of 13 seconds. He's got that lean over, that Amorosi, Sarno, Trunzo uh, abomination of what I intended this thing to be, where they're leaning over and they're just kind of flicking their wrist back. And he knock, knocks it out in 13 seconds, and, and Carpentieri just brute-forced it. And then they both got relatively about the same amount of time on their last set of sliders. So the difference maker, right, the sled made it close, but the difference maker was Carpentieri's speed on what I would call the running portions of this event. Now, why am I going through such detail on this? It's because Carpentieri has been one of the most, if not the most, consistent sprinters that we had in our sessions this year. And what do I mean by that? I mean, every Saturday at 6.30 in the morning, we train for the tough man. But during the week, two to three times a week, I will hold sprint sessions with guys Pro bono. Just me being a good guy. We're going to work on sprinting and nothing else but sprinting. And Carpentieri, he's the guy that has had the most attendance in those sessions. He even came to the, the dreaded primer sessions that no one else wanted to come to. Right? Joe Moresco bashed me for holding a primer session. Carpentieri would come to those sessions. In my mind, that is what gave him the edge in that event. I mean, the guy is sprinting with the farmer's walk. He is sprinting with the prowler in conditions that were not perfect. He didn't go first in the event. He went third, right? So there was some morning dew that was gone. So to me, if there's a message that's being sent out, is that sprinting helps. It absolutely, positively helps. To me, it is the difference maker. It is a central nervous system enhancer. It is something that is going to absolutely, positively make you better. So Carpentieri gets 60 Four point, sorry, 1 minute and 4 seconds, point oh six, And I'm skipping to the punchline here. Carpentieri is the winner of the 2023 Tough Man. He wins it. No one gets close to that time. 
after he goes, that's it. No one even gets under, uh, you know, one minute and 10 seconds. But let's get to the next two guys, right? So it's Carpentier, you're the winner. Congratulations. Awesome work. You deserved it. It was an entire season. It was all the sprinting that you did. It was everything that you did that led up to this day that helped you execute it. And it was a long time in the making. And let's go back to I'm sending out podcasts over the course of the week, reliving the glory days. And one of the podcasts is Joe Trunzo talking. And he's saying, man, if I could have Carpentieri live with me for a month, I think we could fix all this stuff. I think that guy can win. He has the physical potential. He can win. So this week, Trunzo reaches out to Carpentieri. They talk. In fact, when it's over, Trunzo calls me. Guy hasn't been to advanced training in a couple of years. He calls me. He did it, huh? I'm like, yeah, he did it. How'd you know? He called, that Carpentieri called him. So this is that network that we're talking about. And I just love the, the transition that Carpentieri had. He didn't even compete last year in the Tough Man. I don't know what was going on in his life. He didn't even compete in the Tough Man. But he, he, he's another guy, three guys in a row, completely and totally dominates his previous best. His previous best was 1 minute 11 seconds. And he got that 104.06. But again, going back to where I was going, the next two guys that go, Cortese and Derrida. While they don't hit personal bests, right? Cortese, uh, he gets it done in 1 minute and 22 seconds. Derrida gets it done in 1 minute and 25 seconds. They don't hit personal bests, but again, these are guys that are sprinting more than everybody else. And I have to believe that the fact that they're getting up and sprinting makes them also better at what they're doing during the challenges, so they're getting more points. And it makes them show up more to training because they're more committed. They have more, sorry, they have more invested in what we're doing, right? They have more invested in what we're doing. So those guys get to go earlier in the event. And to me, given ground conditions, given the situation, to me, both of those guys had their best event that they've ever had. Even though they didn't PR, they were close to their PRs, and they were not dead at the end. Like, like they could have did it again. So I tip my hat to those two guys. You deserve to be in the top five. And maybe maybe if Yuski doesn't sleep in, I don't know, maybe Derrida or Cortese number a little differently or different, but who the hell knows? So good job, Cortese. Good job, Derrida. Very impressive. But those are guys completely and totally committed to what we're doing. Now, I'm going to take a sidetrack for a second, but I remember this quote that I heard about at work. They said there was a chicken and a pig, and they were, they were on an island with people, and the people were starving. And the chicken said, hey, if they need food, I'll, I'll give them some of my eggs. And they said, you know what? That chicken, they're interested. The pig said, you know what? If these people need food, I can provide the bacon. They said, that pig is committed. <laughs> so uh, think about it. If you're interested or committed, those guys that I just talked about, completely and totally committed. So let's talk about the rankings not being so far off. So Weintraub's not there. So throw that out. But Carpentieri, he finished in first. He was projected second. Shalasi, he finished in second. He was projected fourth. Galley finished third. He was projected third. Pretty damn accurate. Baraji, projected sixth, finished sixth. Derrida, uh, let me check that number again before I go nuts. Yeah, Derrida, projected to finish in fifth. Sorry, seventh, he finished fifth. Mulligan, project, projected to finish eighth. He finished eighth. So some of these rankings were pretty damn close. So guys, you do a good job of ranking each other. You do a good job of knowing how people are around you. Now it's just a matter of actually filling in that form, and I, trust me, I'm going to make this easier next year somehow. I don't know how. So let's finish up. Let's wrap this up with a couple of thoughts. One, I'm thinking about a few guys here that are sticking out in my head a lot. One, Pete Raji. So Pete Raji, we had our, again, we had our mini tough man last week, and he completely and totally killed it. Like, 
he had he had been having a rough season. I'd say this might be the roughest season I've had with Pete since he got here because one, he had a, a I don't know if he blew out his hamstring, but it, we were sprinting one day. He and I and a bunch of other of us were stupid when we got these sensors and did a little too much. But his whole hamstring was blue, and Pete missed a lot of sessions because of that, and he missed some good sprinting technique because of that. And you lose your speed when you don't sprint. So Pete, he basically got to his peak at the right time because he took a lot of weeks off and he really rehabbing everything, really being tender with everything. But last week, he came back with an alpha dog status during that mini tough man. So he was in position to do great. Unfortunately, Pete went sixth in the event. And look, guess what? The ground dried up, right? The ground dried up and Pete went with a scorched earth. Sorry, Pete didn't go sixth. Pete went 12th. So by the time he got going, it was scorched earth. And it probably wasn't 12th. There was a couple of guys that didn't show up. One, two, three. He went four. So he went eighth. So by the time he went, the ground was scorched up. And he got 133.56. So Pete is like, yeah, it's me versus Mother Nature. He texted me after. I texted him like, hey, you did great, man. Given all the scenarios, you did great. Despite how dry the ground was, you did great. So yeah, it's me versus Mother Nature. And he's right. It is him versus Mother Nature. But maybe, and there was a couple of times where he, he was on vacation. And I can't fault anybody for this. He's a married, grown man, right? Why would he not go on vacation with his wife? But you make a couple more sessions, you move up a little bit in the ranks, and maybe you got some morning dew going on, right? Maybe you got some morning dew going on. Maybe if I did a better job of pumping the brakes on his sprint session over the course of the year, maybe he doesn't blow out his hamstring, right? Maybe when his hamstring's hurting him, because there were times where he's just like, I'm not coming at all. Maybe if he came and did some stuff, he has enough attendance where maybe if he tailored the workout to his hamstring, he gets his attendance up a little bit, and now he goes earlier, right? So these are all things to put in your mental bank because everybody wants that belt. I don't care who you are. Everybody wants that belt. If you're in our circle, you want that belt. People that don't do what we do, they don't get it. They're not in the circle. They don't know. They don't know what it means to put that belt around your shoulder. They don't know what it means to be looked at by your peers and say, man, that guy killed it. Gave it everything he got. Killed it. Killed it. He's a champ. They can't take it away for the rest of your life. Fred Carpentier, you're the champ, right? So thinking about it in hindsight, it already happened. You can't fix that. But what are you going to do the next time? My advice to Pete would be not to cancel vacations with his wife. That's stupid. But you get tweaked up, don't miss. Figure out a way to tailor the workout around the injury. I'm not a maniac. Let's figure out something together. Right, that would be my advice to Pete because, damn, did he make an insane turnaround over the course of this year. And, boy, was his performance great considering what the, the, the conditions were. The next person I want to call out is Joe Sarno. So Sarno had the worst time of his life. And Sarno previously was... The I'm gonna I'm gonna put him as I don't know I I'd like to say Trunzo is the the goat at this event, but Sarno was the goat, and then Sarno in the tag team tough man was absolutely the goat. There was a year a couple of years ago with the tag team tough man where he he put on a clinic and had to finish the tough man. It it was actually scary. Like guys thought like like he I don't know he was like some sort of wizard. So this is a guy that completely and totally dominated the event. He had the worst event he had, but he had the worst event he had because he's banged up. And I remember, and this is a conversation I remember having with Sarno when he started Headstrong. I was saying to him, Joe, how is this going to affect your training? Because I remember when I became a strength and conditioning coach, it, it screwed me up. It screwed me up because I was not only training myself, but I started, you have to demonstrate the movements. You're on your feet all day. It actually banged me up more to be a coach than to be an athlete. So I had asked him, like, how is this going to impact your training? At the time, I think he said, like, no, it's not. Right? He was young. He's dominating, you know, advanced training at that point. 
He probably didn't know that this stuff was going to happen, but I believe, and I could be wrong, that the wear and tear of coaching takes more wear and tear of training on your body. So he's banged up, but I, I love that he came. Like, he was banged up, and I, I'm sure he's got an ego around this thing. I would. The guy has a sub one-minute time. Nobody had a sub one-minute time today, and he still did it. He didn't have to do it. I think he went in knowing he wasn't going to win, but he still did it. And he gritted it out. And it's just great to have him there because it's just like everybody else. It's another coach who's there, but he's actually a coach. So as he's talking to guys doing stuff, what he says means a lot because he's a coach and he has a sub one minute time, right? So it's great to have him around just like it was great to have Joe Marechko around yelling at people who's also a coach outside of this. Just, I, I got to call out that point. So it wasn't his best time ever, but damn it. Uh, to me, it was his best event ever because it was, he, didn't, he knew he wasn't going to win. He was banged up and he... He pushed himself. He pushed himself to get through it. The last guy I want to talk about specifically is Sean Mulligan. So this guy, he is like heated about his time. He's heated about where he was ranked, and rightfully so. The guy's a dude. He's he's a legit dude. He's a CrossFit killer. Uh, even before he got, he was in advanced training. He graduated from college, and I heard about all these things he was dominating in CrossFit while while he wasn't with us. But the thing was, he doesn't come that much to what we're doing. He was a fireman, he works over at schedule, he's got a kid, uh, so he hasn't had that many attendances in advanced training, so it gives him a low seed. Remember the formula for the projected finish. But I just, I love this guy's competitive edge. Like, first of all, he's not, he doesn't have an iPhone, so he's not on our group chat. So guys, you don't know the type of conversations me and him are having offline, because he can't, you can't, because the guy is a damn Android or something. Uh, but even this morning, he's like, I want to go again. I want to go earlier in the day to prove to you or the world that I, I can kill this prowler. And he can't. Like, it, even with the ground with scorched earth, he just still made it look easy yesterday. The guy is an absolute dude. But I want to bottle and sell his competitive drive. So, Mulligan, I know you got a kid. I know you're a fireman. you got to work shifts. But I have no other advice. I would just love to see a season where you're fully there to see how this thing would turn out. And I feel like a lot of people are getting off easy because of your availability. Uh, people often say the best ability is availability. I just wish we could figure out a way to get your availability in because I, I just love the fact that you're so pissed off about this. I love it. That's awesome. That is what I'm talking about. Like, I want people who lose this thing to be pissed off about it forever. Like, forever until they actually win it. The, and I'm going to pause for a second, come back to that. The last two people I want to talk about are Maggio and Colombo because this was your first tough man. And you never know what it's like until you actually do it. Colombo, get cleats. The guy is doing low-handle prowler on scorched earth with no cleats. It's not possible. Get cleats. Otherwise, man, pretty sick that he had no interest in giving up or quitting. And I was supposed to DQ him because he took over the time that I would have allowed for him to do it. But, Colombo, you showed me a lot. And Maggio, you're clearly in great shape. You're a fireman. You run the New York City Marathon. Like it's, it's Now it's just a matter of learning how to use these toys. But he's also a fireman. He had to work every Saturday. I think he had only four attendances the whole year. So you guys got to experience it. Now that you've experienced it, what are you going to do? So now let's get back to that last point that I was hitting on of how mad are you going to be? So Joe Trunzo, in a podcast that I sent to these guys, I told him to listen to it. I said, listen to the mental edge that this guy had. He lost to Joe Sarno in, a, in I think, his second tough man that he was ever in. And he lost to him because he didn't completely go through the line at the end of the event. He tried a trick. It didn't work. And he lost like within a second. And it, he said that it ate at him for the entirety of the next year because he didn't believe in himself. It aided him. It tra changed the way he trained. He made it his life goal from that moment to go beat Joe Sarno in the next Tough Man. And I sent it to our guys. 
And it's kind of important here. So the event ends. I'm feeling bad about Shalasi because he had an awesome season. Shalasi not only had an awesome season, he gets stitches in the bottom of his foot during the challenge playoffs and can't compete. That's not long ago. He heals incredibly quickly and comes back for the tough man. I thought he'd be out for the tough man. And then he loses by 0.5 seconds. So on the way home, I call Shalasi. You know, this is 2023. People really don't call each other. They got Trunzo calling me about Carp. I call Shalasi to say, hey, you did a great job. But did you listen to that Trunzo pod- podcast? Because, and he said, I didn't. So that, uh, that ate at my stomach, right? Damn it. I don't know what you're doing all week, Shalasi. But maybe you should have listened to that Trunzo podcast. But who cares if you didn't? It's over now. But that Trunzo podcast, he talks about what you just went through. And maybe you losing this event by 0.6 seconds. Maybe you losing this event is the thing that's going to put you over the edge so that you win the next two or the next three. And I talked to him about Matt Frazier, the CrossFit legend. They said, what was the turning point in your career? And he said, like, sometime I came in third. I think he won one year. Then the next year he came in third. I could be wrong, but it's something like this. And he said that. He's like, I thought I was going to win it again, and I didn't. And because I lost, that helped me win the next five t- like, you know, CrossFit events. So, Shalasi, the, the message is to you, right? The message is to you here, or anyone here, right? Not just Shalasi, but what are you going to do? If you wake up to this morning and you forgot about what happened yesterday, you're not going to be no better off. Just like when we coach kids in football and they lose a game on Friday and they're crying after the game and Saturday morning they got something else going on in their life they don't remember. And you're never going to get better. Right? It's those people like Joe Trunzo who take this. They put it in their stomach and they put it on their wall and they say, I'm not going to let this happen again. Those are the ones who change everything. So, Chalacy, what are you going to do? Everybody else who's not Carpentieri, what are you going to do? Carpentieri, what are you going to do? Because there's probably a couple guys gunning for you right now. Right now, you're the man. You got the juice. They're probably coming for you right now. And maybe, maybe Weintraub doesn't have a, uh, a CPA exam next year. Maybe Mulligan shows up more. Maybe Baraji shows up more. I don't know. Let's figure it out. Maybe Galley, maybe Galley trims a couple seconds off. I don't know, Carpentieri, but they're coming for you. The last thing I'm going to say, and there's no guarantees on this yet, but I am dabbling with a new format for the Tough Men. The reason I've kept this format, despite all of the... I don't know, debate that goes on with the group about whatever they want to talk about with it. I kept it because I wanted to have some form of tradition where guys from one year can compare their times from guys of another year. Or a guy can look at his time from last year and talk about his time from this year, right? Or people can work to master their craft. But what is really bothering me, what's eating at my soul, is that the impact the field conditions are having on what we're doing. Now, not even just during the course of a day from one competitor to another, but from one guy to look at his time from one year to another. Right now, there is very little comparison between, I don't know, this year and two years ago's Tough Man for, like, say, uh, I don't know, for Pete Baraji to look at his time this year versus two years ago because it's different. Or Nick Carroll to look at his time from two years ago because it's different. So it, the ground conditions are so different. So uh, I don't, I'm thinking of changing it. I have a general idea of what it's going to be. The concept is still going to be the same, but I want to remove the variability of the the scorched earth destroying any sort of comparison or any sort of tradition that we're going to have. I'm going to talk it over with some guys. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to talk about, but I have a very good idea of what I want to do. I I drew it up. All right, everybody. This wraps up this podcast. The last thing I want to say, a special thank you once again to Steve Armato for taking all the videos, well, that Joe Mareczko made. He took them all, made a sick 
little compila compilation of stuff, put it on Instagram, put it out there to the world. So Armado, thank you. You are the man. The only disappointment, Armado, is that you did not end up sitting uh, at the end, at the very end of the uh, <laughs> of everyone's event this year. That was that would have been terrible. Well, it would have been awesome. I don't know. I have something to talk about for, again, for the rest of the year, but you, you, feel, you, you did what you had to do, Armado. You did what you had to do. You got out of there. You didn't die. You did exactly what you had to do. And thank you for everything you do for the program. All right, people. That's it. Talk to you soon. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Lark Media. Did you ever feel like you had a message that the whole world absolutely needed to hear? You take it, you package it, you bundle it, you send it out there, and then boom, no response. Well, if that's you, don't be disappointed. It might not be that your message is bad. It might be that you're not delivering it the right way. And this is where our friends over at Lark Media can help. These guys are masters of marketing. They've done things for advanced training where they've come in. They've taken documentaries of our work, and they not only captured what it looks like, but they captured what it feels like to be a part of what we do. They've also made motion graphics that we use before and after our YouTube videos. If you need help, please contact Steve at LarkMediaNYC.com. Again, that's Steve at Lark, L-A-R-K, MediaNYC.com. Tell them that Advanced Trading sent you, and they'll take 10% off.